A skillful, skillful workman can turn a little earth and ashes into such a curious, transparent glasses as we daily see. And if a little seed that bears a no show of a such a thing can produce the more beautiful flowers of earth, and if a little acorn can bring forth the greatest oak, why should we once doubt whether the seed of everlasting life and glory, which is now in blessed souls with Christ, can by him communicate a perfection to flesh that is dissolved into its element? According to Baxton, those who receive Christ in their heart have the seed of everlasting life and glory in their souls, and the one day that seed will perfect our flesh. Amen? That's what Paul has been uh, telling us in Colossians. Last week in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul said the mystery of God that has been hidden in past generation is now revealed to the whole world was what? The Christ in us. The hope of our glory. The Christ in us on hope of our glory. The cosmic Christ wants to make a home in our heart. That is a mystery of God that Paul was talking about. That's how the glorification begins in our life. You know, glorification is not only for the future, even though that's when it will be completed with the return of Christ, but glorification has a present significance. Actually, the Bible calls us to do everything for glory of God. So every day, we should do something in glory. So today's study in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 15, teaches us how to grow and how to glow with the glory that Christ began in us and still shining in us. With that, let's read our text today. That is Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 15. ESB, I usually read a, a new international version, but a ESB done a better job, so we're going to read a ESB version today. So let me read first, and then you read the following. Therefore, as we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built in Him, established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirit of the world, not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of a deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is a head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made not with the hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses, and the circumcision of your flesh, God made our life together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demand, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers, authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
To be Christian means to be in glory. Because following Christ means walking in His glory, living for His glory, and marching toward His glory. Christ's followers are workers in glory. And that's God's way from the beginning. You know, Romans 3.23, Paul said, We all have sinned and fell short of God's glory. So he connected our sin with our loss of God's glory in us. Why? If you look at the Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God creates a man and woman in his image. Then that means from the beginning, we are made in the image of a glorious God, and glory was, it was our birthright, and we sinned, and the sin destroyed or took away the glory. But when we receive Christ in our heart, the lost glory of God is restored in us, and now we start reflecting the image of God in His glory in our life. In Colossians, especially today's text, Apostle Paul gives us three important commands, three important commands on how to grow and glow with God's glory in our life. So first command for us to glow with God's glory is a walk deep. Walk deep. Look at the verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built upon Him, establishing the faith, and just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Today's text begins with a therefore, which means this is a continuation or application from the previous section. Previously, Paul told us Christ is a cosmic ruler and the crucified redeemer who wants to live in us. In lieu of this ultimate intimate mystery of God, Paul now gives us first command in his letter to Colossians. Letter to Colossians have 29 imperative verbs, which is commands. This is the first of 29 commands. Walk in Christ. And then he connects the walk in Christ to two metaphors, rooted and established, or some Bibles say built up. Rooted is an agricultural metaphor, and built up or established is an architectural metaphor. According to one Pauline commentator, it is unusual that Apostle Paul employs a double metaphor back to back. Paul's point here is that believing in Christ is never static, but dynamic. You know, spiritual birth always means spiritual growth. Born again means grow again. Amen? If you are born again, in Christ through the Holy Spirit, there must be some sign of a growth and changes in you. That's why I like the, this the term, follow Christ better than the believer. Because the following is active, whereas the believing seems to be static and cognitive. Believe me, I'm a, you know academician. So I know importance of belief and the cognitive thinking. But uh, it is action. It is an act 
That's when people know what you really believe. We all know that phrase, the talk is cheap, but walk is a concrete. Talk without walk is a contradictory or hypocritical, whereas a walk with a talk is a convicting, and I, even I might say it's a holy. You know, yesterday, I had a, our annual retreat prep team appreciation dinner at my place, and the Lee Parker saw a pull-up bar installed on the door frame of my hallway. And he said, wow, Pastor Paul, I'm impressed with your pull-up bar. And I didn't say anything because I rarely impress others with my body. And I thought it was a good idea to challenge the younger man like Lee to do some pull-up bar, pull-ups. So I said nothing but smile. Inside, I could hear my soul speaking to me. It's not a pull-up bar. It's a hanging bar. Paul Kim is barely hanging on to that bar. <laughs> Some of us have a face like a pull-up bar, just installed, but never pulled up. So let me ask you, do you walk while you talk? Paul said rooted here. You know, rooted means a seed has been already sown, and it's germinating deep and wide and far. And root is a foundation of a tree. Everything in a tree is connected to root. Likewise, a building goes up only upon a solid foundation. If you are a Texan and you don't know about a building, you ain't Texan. Texas, we know importance of a foundation, right? I mean, yeah. There are two kinds of houses in Texas. House with a foundational problem, and that house, that will have a foundational problem. Foundation is a very important where we live, because you cannot have a stable building without solid foundation. And Apostle Paul here described faith to be moving at the same time stability. So mobility, walking, and the root, and the foundation, stability. So walking in Christ does not mean simply, you know, moving around and being busy. It's actually walking deep with a root and foundation. In another word, walking in Christ means walking with a direction, walking toward a destination, walking with a sense of a purpose. And the good news is that you and I can walk gloriously because Christ came to our world and showed us and leading us how to walk. And that's why Paul said today, he didn't say the walk in Christ. He said, as you receive Christ, Jesus, as your Lord. You know, this is a language of a received. It's not just a received. Paul was using the it's a language or expression of a tradition. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, as, you, as I receive, I'm passing on to you. This is a language of a tradition. Hand it down, hand it, you know, a, you know what, a hand it down something, and then you also passing on, hand it down to others. This is the, you know, tradition. Paul is saying that we don't just walk, but Christ is our living tradition. We follow Christ as our living tradition. 
You don't just believe and put him in some kind of doctrine in your head. No, he's in your heart. He's growing and he's influencing every part of your life. And as you follow Christ and it makes him a living tradition or foundation in your life, guess what? You also becoming slowly glorious and then living tradition to others. You know, in the Europe, is a very, you know, when you go to Europe and visit the famous cathedral, I always encourage you to check out the basement. Because in Christian tradition, they always bury saints. Usually the famous saints in the famous cathedral. Why? Christ is our foundation, and those who served him faithfully, they also become a part of a foundation for the future generation. So you and I build our life on Christ, and together we become a foundation for the future generation. Amen? That's what I mean by walking deep. Again, walking deep means walking with a sense of a purpose and destination. Not wandering. Wandering is a walking but without a purpose. Wandering often is actually walking with a crowd. Walking without just, you know, some accidental or some kind of, you know, temporary, you know, pleasure. Tragically, that's what happened yesterday in Itaewon in South Korea. Did you guys hear about the news? 153 young people, late teens and early 20s, died in the space of 200 square feet. Initially, we thought it was a stampede. It wasn't stampede. It was squeezed. They, 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 were, they were killed by, by squeeze. And then right now in South Korea, there's an outcry about Halloween. Halloween is a beautiful Christian tradition, but some Americans, including Korean Americans, who went to South Korea to teach English, they presented like a costume party. Fun stuff. Wear, you know, wear the mask and the drink and then do stuff. And that's what people, young people tried to do in Itaewon yesterday. And then one thing led to another. The meandering crowd, without seeing who is in front, they squeezed each other to death. What a horror. I can fathom the pain of the parents. You know, some of the news stories I hear is just a breaking. I just want to say the wrong tradition kills you. Wrong tradition kills you. Second command for grow, glowing with the glory, Paul tells us, is actually negative command, which is a watch, by which I, I, I call it watch carefully. Look at the verse 8. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Don't let anyone take you captive. This is a military metaphor. And the Paul said, philosophy can take us captive. By the way, this is the only place in the Bible the word philosophia is mentioned. And the Apostle Paul was not objecting to study about philosophy because philosophy literally means love of wisdom. And Paul and John, Apostle John and the early church fathers, they are actually great philosophers and knowledgeable in many philosophies. You know, for instance, Augustine said in his confession, he studied about Platonism 
was instrumental for him to find the Christian gospel plausible. And he called Christianity later in his book, City of God, perfect Platonism. Perfect Platonism. By that he means a Platonism was incomplete, but the wisdom of Christ make that Platonism or whatever Platon, you know, Plato and Aristotle, you know, the Socrates teach complete. And some people call Augustine Christian Platonist. And Augustine called the Christianity or gospel perfect philosophy. Perfect philosophy. And one of my favorite quotes of Augustine in the book of Confession is this. He said, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek God is the greatest adventure. To find God is the greatest achievement. I want to add more. One more. And have Christ is the greatest treasure or riches that you can have. You know, last week I heard that a metaverse plunged. They lost so much, you know, and uh, Zuckerberg lost a lot of money. You know, he's uh, like billions of, uh, you know, money he left. I think it's a good news to him because sooner or later he will lose it all. When he dies, what, what stock he will have? In compared to that, my stock is going up. You don't, do you know my stock option? Do you know your stock option in Christ? My stock option is an incredible, you know. I don't know how in the world that I became a Christian. Because I, some of you heard my story. I hated Christians. And here I am. And truly, this is a, the greatest achievement of my life, not by my wisdom, not by my discovery, but by God's grace. Amen? Now, the philosophies that Paul warned us to watch out for was empty and deceitful. Paul said they are empty because they don't contain the ultimate truth of God, and they are also deceptive because they mislead people. So they may sound good, they may be followed widely by many people, and they are, but they are actually mental detours and leading many people astray. And when we examine them, we discover many of these philosophies in the world is empty, and not only empty, but also exploited. For instance, communism and capitalism are kind of a philosophies. But both have, a, and also both of have an element of truth. Communism stresses uh, love and equality, right? Everybody should have an equal, kind of, you know. And then capitalism emphasizes freedom and responsibility. But as a John Kenneth Galbraith, a renowned Harvard economist, you know, described, there is a difference between them. And he said difference between communism and capitalism is this. He said, under capitalism, men exploit men. You see that? And then he said, under communism, it is exactly the reverse. All right. I expected a laugh, but I guess you're still doing a brain gymnasium. That's okay. Both are missing God's full truth. You know, capitalism, men individually exploit others. Communism, men collectively exploit the other. That's the, you know, 
but both of them doing the same thing to each other. Neither reflect the truth in its ultimate form. And then Paul here points out the three characteristics of a bad philosophy, and for that he used the word according to. So look at the verse 8. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirit of the world, and not according to the Christ. This is the three characteristics of a deceptive, empty, exploitive in a philosophy. So first, it depends on human tradition. It invests, it, um, it invents its own truth claim based on human authority and man-made tradition. You know, for instance, evolution, especially old Darwinian macroevolution. Uh, by that I mean the evolution between species, you know. Uh, not a microevolution. Microevolution is an evolution or adoption within the species. And uh, I believe in microevolution because it's a scientific. Whereas a macroevolution, there there's no scientific evidence for it. You better, you know, it is a theory. Actually, forgotten, not many people hold a theory. On the other hand, intelligence design. That's not a religious idea. It's actually mathematical probability based on idea. But when in academia, when you talk about intelligence, you know, uh, 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 design of a universe, people automatically assume that you are some religious, you are religious worker, you are not, this is wrong place for you. And you speak against you know, evolution, once again you are out. Why? Many academia is based on human traditions. And they make their own truth claim. And we need a thoughtful Christian in academia. Like, uh, what was it, the director of NIH? The Francis Collins. If you have a chance, listen to Francis Collins' you know, podcast. It'll really open your mind about the science and the faith. Second, Paul said false theology comes from elemental spirit of the world. Some other English Bible, NIV, is said actually, uh, elemental principle of the world. So why did they change, dif tr uh, translate differently? The idea is this. Some think the false philosophy came from fallen spirit. Others think it came from the fallen world and is thinking. So which one is right? I think both right. Because the fallen spirit and fallen you know, thinking pattern, it worked together. And finally, the third and most important characteristic of a false philosophy is this. That's what I want you to remember. The wrong philosophy, the man-made tradition and patterns of a fallen world is this. They don't deny Christ, but they always dethrone Christ. They don't deny Christ. You know, all the heretical, liberal, you know, biblical scholarship in the secular university they don't say Jesus is uh, you know, bad. They say Jesus is good. He's a great human teacher. But Christian made him God. That's where you know, they go off. They always dethrone Christ. They don't deny Christ. So because they don't deny Christ, don't think they are right. I mean, they are true. Or, you know, friendly. Not at all. They always try to domestic, I mean, domesticate and tame the radical supremacy of a Christ into their system. Today, it's not only All Saints Day, but actually it's a special day for us Protestants. It's a Reformation Sunday. 
Do you know what Reformation is? How many of you know Reformation? Okay. At least, oh, good. I saw some teenagers. Okay, good. October 31st, 1517, a German Roman Catholic Augustinian monk named Martin Luther posted a 95 thesis of a protest on the door of a Wittenberg Castle Cathedral. And it was All Saints Sunday because at the time many people bought indulgences. What are the indulgences? Roman Catholic Church was, uh, Vatican was fundraising, especially for the, the Peter's Cathedral, through the sales of indulgences. And the indulgences are like a Disney Genie Plus kind of a pass, fast pass that you pay extra, then your loved ones who are in purgatory will shorten their time. Their waiting line is shortened and they will go to paradise right away. It's an incredible religious scan. And the Luther was a challenging. That is wrong. As a result, four years later, 1521, Luther was called at the Diet of a Worm, is an imperial congress. And there, Luther was uh, demanded to recant his, uh, you know, his uh, belief about uh, sola, you know, I mean, the grace alone and the faith alone salvation. And they were challenging Martin Luther, are you telling us all church council and popes are wrong and you're the only one is right? And this is a Luther's famous final reply in that diet of worm. My conscience is a captive to the word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant because acting against one's conscience is a neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. I can do no other. Help me God. Luther said, I'm standing, my confession is standing on the word of God. And Luther was absolutely right. Only safe and sound truth is the word of God. If our heart is not captured by the word of God or something else, we're in trouble. Just like, you know, Roman Catholic Church at the time made a huge, you know, error. What are you standing today? Where is your life standing today? Are you standing on the word of God? Are you standing some kind of world, ideas of the world? Now, after warning the danger of an empty, deceptive philosophy, Paul takes up the final command and the wisdom for us to glow with God's glory. That is to return to Christ and win big. That's the third and final command is a win big. So look at the verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is ahead over every power and authority. Paul is returning to the theme that he already preached in chapter 1, that cosmic, you know, Christ to him. That is, uh, Colossians, they don't need to have any additional source of a revelation of authority, of a blessing for their spiritual life. Christ is not simply another spiritual force that makes the fullness, the word fullness, Paul used twice in his, is a plero, pleroma or plethora in English. That means Christ is not a, just a part of the universe or fill the gap. He is a bigger than universe. He's the fullness of the universe is in Christ because he's a, he's a creator. 
He's a cosmic. That means universes are smaller than Christ. And Paul is bringing back to Colossians and saying this. His fullness now is ours. Anybody who has a Christ, you receive the fullness of God in bodily form, and you will also become full. And to illustrate this promise of a fullness of, a, of a Christ, Paul connects three ideas here. The three ideas is that a circumcision, baptism, and then cross. As I briefly explain each, each one of them, I hope that you see the common thread through them. First, Paul mentioned the circumcision three times in verse 11. Look at the verse 11. In him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was prof when you were circumcised by Christ. Paul was addressing Gentiles and saying that you are circumcised. What is a circumcision? Circumcision is a covenantal right that God established to Abraham and his uh, Jewish descendant. It is a hallmark of uh, being a Jew. You know, those of you like some uh, uh, classic, I mean, thoughtful movie, check it out, the movie. It's kind of an old movie, 30 years old movie. You know, Europa, Europa. It's based on true story of a Holocaust survivor, a Jewish you know, youth. Somehow, Germans uh, misunderstood he was a German German. So he grew up in the uh, Hitler Youth School. And there, he couldn't take a public bath because of a circumcised, you know, body. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So there was a girl that he loved. And this girl, you know, they, before they die, I mean, you know, war, you know, war is going, he wants to really make love. But, because, but she's an ardent, you know, Hitler lover. And so he couldn't, anyway, watch the movie. Point is, uh, that is a hallmark of being a Jew. Now, it started in Genesis 17. How old was Abraham when he was circumcised? Okay, I was uh, trying to look for, ask somebody, but you guys, many of you avoid my eye contact, so I just answered that one, okay? He was 99. 99. Why didn't God circumcise Abraham earlier? Why 99 years old men get circumcised? By the way, circumcision is a cutting up the flesh of that the male sex organ. By this time, Abraham's manhood is dead. And uh, God resurrected to show him God is faithful and powerful enough to keep his promise of an heir to Abraham. So what is the spiritual significance of a circumcision? You know, circumcision is a cutting the foreskin or flesh covering a male organ. Male organ. Spiritually, its meaning is Surrendering self-reliance. Self-reliance. 
or I might say spiritual manhood or womanhood. I'm from Latin America. We have a term for this kind of uh, manhood. We call it, I mean, this kind of uh, idea of a self-reliant and confident manhood. I was looking for Carmen. That word is macho. Have you heard the word? Macho, macho man. Macho. You know that song? Macho, macho man. You know? You're so macho. Respect me. You know? I'm a man. Respect me. I can, you know, they have the, we all have this kind of macho mentality. Or some sisters have a macho mentality. Yeah, macho mentality. What is a macho or macho mentality? I can run my life on my own. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm rich enough. I'm pretty enough. I'm attractive enough. I'm a well-educated enough. I'm a well-connected enough. I well, whatever. I'm a well, 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 I'm a enough, enough. Paul said true circumcision is done in our heart. It's done by Christ. Christ was circumcised for you and me. That's what Paul is saying. And then he goes to the second point, which is a baptism. He connects the circumcision to baptism. Look at the verse 12. Having been buried him in baptism, in which you also raised with him through the, your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us all our sins. In biblical baptism, you know, we do, you know, uh, we, we do immersion. And the reason, you know, I mean, uh, baptism means immersion. Baptizo in Greek word means immerse. And it means when you go under the water, it symbolizes Christ's death for you. When you come out of the water, it symbolizes Christ's resurrection with you. So when you go under the water, you're saying that I'm publicly, you're confessing, I'm dying with Christ. I'm dead with Christ, coming out that I'm alive with Christ and his righteousness. Okay? So when I baptize people, I ask people to hold their breath at least two, three seconds. I don't want to do quick, you know. So I want them to feel the sense that, that I want them to really have this uh, public, you know, through their body, I want them to confess that this, their union with the death of Christ. Some of them, I feel like uh, two, three minutes. You should hold your breath for two, three minutes. And uh, some teenagers, I intentionally held them longer. But anyway, oh, we have a baptism, you know, uh, planned this Thanksgiving Sunday, so don't be scared, okay? So, you know, don't be scared. You can do it. And uh, we are, baptism means that what Christ has done for me now is uh, my reality. To the world, you proclaim I'm dead with Christ. He's died for me, and I'm now living with him. It's almost like a marriage ceremony. Okay, I'm, I'm too much metaphors. Okay, let me go to the final point, the circumcision and baptism to the cross. Verse 14, having canceled the charges of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he hasn't taken away and nailing to the cross. Paul is saying that circumcision, which is a, of a heart, that surrender of a self-reliance, and baptism 
Our union with Christ and death and resurrection is all actualized by Christ and his cross. And here, Paul did something. He paints the cross of Christ as a victory with a military metaphor. Look at the verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in him or by cross. Why military metaphor? Paul is trying to tell us a cosmic Christ, our crucified Redeemer, is ultimately our conquering champion. He is our champion. He won the victory over sin, guilt, and shame, resoundingly, publicly, bodily, and completely. Paul was saying that we are not walking alone. We are not fighting alone. We are not just fighting anything, but we are fighting. We are actually winning in glory with the Christ. For me, the cross of Christ is the ultimate battle. And then you have to recognize this is a battle. You think about the cross of Christ is a nothing but battle of love. Cross means battle of love. I don't know about you, but every day, every week, I face battle of love. Living as a sinner, living with the sinners, living for sinners, it's all about call for battle of love. Some week is better than others. But some week is hard. The people you love and care, you know, they take your word out of context. They kind of put the blame on you. It's really hurting. Helping people is not easy. I told some of our shepherds here in our church that loving people are not easy. You will be hurt. They will pain you. You will be wounded. That is a you know, fact of a ministry. Actually, a fact of a life. fact of a marriage, my wife probably said. But point is this. When you're wounded, I hope you remember to take your wounds to the cross of Christ and see the scar there. Because when you fight the battle of the love and then you got wounded, you are not alone. Your champion, your creator, your redeemer understands your, your pain and he will heal you and it will become Scar of glory. Amen. Last Sunday, I preached about forest. Are we the fellowship of a sugar or fellowship of a scar? Do we have a scar to show to God when we stand before God? This week, I got some scars. It was a hard week. This week was a hard week for me. Mm. When you're hurt, you want to retaliate. <laughs> yeah, pastors do. We, but 
Holy Spirit reminds me, you are fighting alone. You are not fighting alone. I'm with you. Go to the cross. See again. And then I, I was driven to the cross many times this week. I, I went to the cross several times. And each time I go there and I see a scar of Christ, who am I that the creator of the universe suffered on the cross the incredible shame and pain? Yeah. My wounds get healed. And I live. I got hurt again. I go back, going back and forth, back and forth. So I want to tell you, those of you who feel hurt in loving others, those who feel betrayed by others, look at the cross. There is our healing. There is our glory. Let's pray.